of, of what is said here today, lives would be changed for your glory, God. Pray this in your name. Amen. And uh, he said I was in Des Moines for a few years, a few years actually, 19 years as the pastor of the Well Covenant Church on the east side of Des Moines, if you're familiar with Des Moines. And uh, then last fall, I just began some conversation with uh, the staff at uh, Cornerstone there in Ames about a position that was coming open, and we moved up in January, started the first part of January, and uh, just uh, really enjoying that. I'm on the pastoral ministries team, and then also will have some uh, responsibilities with CST, which is the seminary located there. Uh, that uh, some, I think uh, Shane said that he is over there, yeah. But anyway, it's great to be here. Um, uh, Matt mentioned Stephen. Um, my wife Paula is here with me, and uh, we've been married for 28 years. We're talking about marriage today, and so uh, we're going to be celebrating 28 years. And next to her is uh, one of my boys, Solomon, that comes over here. You might, I don't know how well you can recognize people in the drum cage, but... Uh, that's where he uh, is located on some Sunday mornings. I have a son named Sam uh, that uh, married to Rachel. Uh, he is an electrical engineer and uh, works in Ames at an engineering firm on the west side of Ames, Power Film. And then my youngest, uh, Seth, is a freshman uh, at Iowa State majoring in computer engineering. So anyway, really glad to be here and be able to teach uh, this morning uh, from 1 Corinthians 7, uh, a text that, you know, a lot of people read and maybe you've read and say, you know, wow, this is uh, really hard stuff, but I think a text that can bring us back to just a, a real heart and a real desire to have really great and really strong marriages. And in fact, thinking of marriage, um, I want you to think about um, a couple uh, maybe somebody that you know that has celebrated, you know, 50 years of marriage. Can you think of anybody like that? How many of you can think of somebody that has celebrated the 50th wedding anniversary? Uh, either you have or um, you know some you have. All right, right up here on the, how many? 58. Let's give them a round of applause. Woo. Right there is uh, what we're going to point to uh, through this morning. And just God's heart for this. Uh, my dad is 82 years old, and uh, my mom passed away a few years ago, but they made it to the 50-year mark, and I remember that. And I, you know, just how exciting that is to see a couple reach that benchmark. And uh, we made a big deal about it, my brothers and my sister and I and our families, and we took them uh, back to the Ozark Resort where they honeymooned and just surprised them with that. And it was fun and we all had cabins and we went hiking and played games and just heard them just tell stories about their life together. And it just was this great celebration of family and this celebration of marriage. And, it, I, I, you know, always amazing just to hear 58 years, always amazing for me to see a couple that hits the 50-year mark, or even better, the 60-year mark, or even better, the 70-year mark. I was watching uh, the news back a couple of years ago, WHO, you know, Channel 13, and, and they had this couple on there they were featuring, and this couple was celebrating 70 years of marriage. It's incredible. 
And I see that and I love that because it inspires me. It should inspire us. It should give us the confidence. You know what? You know, we can make it. We can go the distance. Because you, you listen to a couple like that talk and they're always being asked, you know, uh, you know, how did you do it? And then there's no profound magical answer. Well, we, we're just committed to each other. You know, we just communicate. We heard that. We just work through stuff. And it just encourages us to just go for it and to commit to that, that it's possible. Because here's the thing, no marriage is easy, right? And you just have to remove that from your mind. It's never easy, um, you know, to hit the 50-year mark. It's a, you know, a miracle of God's grace to, to reach that, that, that benchmark. It requires a tremendous amount of hard work. It requires a couple, and I really appreciate uh, the couple that, uh, that, that stood here just a, a little bit earlier, it just requires just that, those kind of small but profound commitments. You know what? We're going to spend 20 minutes a day and talk and get into each other's lives. It requires that kind of stuff, that, that you know, just loads and loads of grace and forgiveness, what we were singing about that we received from Jesus in the gospel but extending that to each other, it requires that unconditional love. And, you know, I, I think of my parents, they, they were no different. But what I saw was this, this deep, deep commitment to the permanence of marriage. And so as we come into this uh, section of verses and, uh, and you are going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians together, we're doing that over at uh, Cornerstone and Ames. We're a few chapters ahead of you here but here we are in uh, chapter 7, and we get this idea when we read chapter 7 about the permanence of marriage. Paul talking very openly, very honestly about marriage. Uh, he's talked about openly about sex and now the permanence of marriage and even the some, uh, you know, sometimes or somewhat controversial topic of, of divorce. And, uh, you know, uh, some of you have been married for a long time. And uh, we want to celebrate that. As I mentioned a moment ago, Paula and I will celebrate 28 years of marriage. And you've been married, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 58. We want to celebrate that. It's, it's God's grace. Some of you, um, though, may uh, have been through the painful experience of, of divorce. That can be so hard. And, and you're experiencing right now God's healing grace and mercy in your life, and, and, and that's, that, that's huge, that's profound. Some of you have remained unmarried, at least at this point, and some of you are possibly in a second marriage. There's just so many different experiences and things that, that we brought into this room this morning, you know, of where we're at with this. And so when we come to this part of Paul's teaching, it can be very hard to read through. But I believe uh, it is very relevant to what Many of you potentially have experienced your life, all of us, in some way, shape, or form. And so let me state our purpose this morning, uh, just right, you know, right out of the gate here, right up front. Our purpose is to celebrate the grace of God expressed in the gospel. And again, we've been singing the gospel this morning. It's some powerful stuff. Death was arrested, you know. What a great song. To celebrate that, the grace of God expressed in the gospel, and commit ourselves to the permanence of of marriage, to celebrate the grace of God expressed in the gospel and commit ourselves wherever you're at, even if you're not married yet, just to commit yourself to that idea, that, 
that, that, that principle, the permanence of marriage. And, uh, and let me say this as we approach uh, 1 Corinthians 7, that Paul's teaching on this topic of marriage and divorce. This is a much debated topic. As you may know, I mean, a lot of really great people, a lot of godly people, biblical people that have some areas of disagreement on this. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic, and it's not always easy uh, to pull all these pieces together, uh, if we're honest. But we're going to see Paul make some very bold and uh, just some straightforward statements uh, about this, and, and um, we're going to look at that. Uh, but we also want to ask the question, you know, what does the broader context of Scripture say about this? Did anyone else teach on this? And the answer is yes, Jesus did. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 7, and then we're going to uh, jump over to Mark 10 here in just a moment and, and see what Jesus had to say about this as well. And hopefully it will be very instructive and, and mostly encouraging uh, to us and what God wants for us in, in our marriages or future marriages. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there, uh, if you haven't already, First Corinthians 7, and we're going to be uh, looking uh, at the beginning of verse uh, 8 and go through 16. I just want to read that, make a few comments, and then we're going to make some observations. First uh, Corinthians 7, verse 8, uh, Paul says, But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, and he's talking about being single, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Meaning it's not wrong to have sexual desires. He, he's already talked about that, and you've studied that in the first part of this chapter. And, uh, but again, a, a godly sexual relationship happening in the context of, of the covenant of marriage and not outside of that as is so prevalent in our culture. Uh, Paul is saying, you know, you're going to have that, and, uh, and so it is better to marry than to, than to burn with passion. But Verse 10, but to the married, I give instructions. And so he's getting ready to kind of move to another topic here, uh, the topic of marriage and, and, and divorce. And he says, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled uh, to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. Basically, this is instruction for two believers. If you, he's saying, if you are Christians and, and you know, you are one in Christ, stay together. You know, you, you, you need to find a way not to get out of it, but find a way to stay in it. Find a way to work it out. If you need help, you know, get help. Be reconciled. Work on this. Stay together. Something that happens, again, through the power of the gospel, through the, through the life of Jesus in us and in the context of our marriages. Christ at the center to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so, verse 12, he says, But to the rest I say, not the Lord... I'm not meaning this isn't inspired, but meaning I don't have any specific instruction or teaching from Jesus on this. Uh, this was coming from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And so here's what was happening. I mean, Paul is going into these pagan cities and towns, uh, people that had never heard the gospel. He's going in there. He's preaching the gospel. 
And there were people coming to Christ. And you can see that storyline through the, the, the book of Acts. And, and so you might, in some situations, have a, you know, a husband and wife that hear the gospel. They both come to faith in Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila would be an example of that. But in other situations, you might have a wife or you might have a husband that hears the gospel. And they're like, wow, I need this. And they trust Jesus as their Savior. But the, the spouse, the, the husband, the, you know, their spouse does not believe. And uh, is, is more like, wow, you know, I, wh- why are you doing this? You know, when I married you, I didn't sign up for this. I had no idea you were going to get religious on me or, you know, become a follower of Jesus. But I love you. And I want to be married to you. And I just want to, you know, work this out. I mean, you just do your spiritual thing and, and leave me alone. But I love you and I want to be with you. And Paul says, if that's the case, don't divorce them. Just stay in that. Uh, you know, uh, you can't divorce them. Verse 13, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Same thing. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. doesn't mean that they're going to get, you know, that they are automatically are saved just because their spouse got saved, but just the sanctifying influence that that believing spouse can have on their unbelieving spouse. And I'll talk more about that here in a moment. It's powerful. It has the potential to be very, very powerful. Uh, For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Same principle. The sanctifying influence of that believing uh, husband or wife on their family. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother, you know, the brother or sister is not under bondage, is not bound in such cases. And so the question there, you know, does this mean that divorce is okay in this situation? I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. But God has called us to peace for verse 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct, and so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has any one been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. So let me just make some quick observations from what we just read, and I kind of commented there a little bit. But let me just give these four quick observations. Number one: Stay married. Let me just come away from that. The the big picture there. Stay married. Very clear for believers. Again in verse 10, but to the married I give instructions, not I, uh, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. Verse 11, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be what? Reconciled. Figure this thing out. Let let the gospel instruct you. Let the gospel inform what you're doing. Be reconciled and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And in that language, again, reflecting our purpose to celebrate the grace of God expressed in the gospel and commit ourselves to the permanence of marriage. So first of all, stay married. Number two, don't get divorced. You know, if you are a believer, you should not uh, get a divorce. Again, Paul advocating here for the permanence of marriage. Number three, if your spouse is an unbeliever and wants to stay with you, stay married to them. You know, uh, you may not agree on a lot of things, and, 
And you may not share a spiritual life together, but that's okay. In fact, if you want to turn over to 1 Peter 3, uh, you can. Uh, just a, a really significant teaching that Peter gives on this particular scenario. I'll just read it if you want to listen. 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 and 2, Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, and that actually can be translated are unbelievers, so there's the scenario that Paul had been talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, a, a believing spouse with an unbelieving spouse. If any of them do not obey the word or are un unbelievers, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so whenever I, I, I read that verse and am talking about this, I always think of uh, Lee and Leslie Strobel. Lee Strobel... Uh, is an author, he's a speaker, uh, wrote the books uh, Case for Christ, Case for Faith. You remember those books? Uh, very popular, best-selling books. And, uh, but he was not always a believer. I mean, he and Leslie were you know, just like you know, married and just going through life. Uh, Lee was uh, an atheist, actually, and was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And they're just doing life together and living in Chicago and and just, you know, going about their business, and, and, uh, and Leslie meets this lady. She's a Christian and really likes her, and they, be, they develop this friendship, and this lady just began to invite Leslie to church, and Leslie's like, I don't want to go to church. I've never, you know, really been a part of that. I have these images of church and what church is, and I don't want anything to do with it, and, and this friend was saying, no, you should come try my church. It's different, and this was back when... Uh, if you're familiar with Willow Creek Church in Chicago, Bill Hybels, is when he was really starting that, that new way of doing church and just a little bit more seeker-friendly and, and not with a lot of the traditional trappings. And, and uh, she finally convinced Leslie to go to church with her. And, and, and so Leslie went to church with her, and, and that day she heard the gospel. And she thought, you know what? I need that. This is what I need. I didn't even know this is what I needed. This is what I need. And, and she went back again several more times, and then she finally came to the point where she trusted uh, Jesus as her Savior. The, the gospel just impacted her life. And uh, she told Lee about it. She said, you know, I just want you to know. I, he's like, why, why do you keep going to that church? And she finally said, okay, Lee, I just want you to know I became a Christian. I, I've, I've accepted the gospel. And Jesus is my Savior now. And Lee's like, you know what? That's too bad. <laughs> I mean, he seriously was bummed out if you, if you uh, know that story. And, but he said, you know what? Just, you know, th that's fine. If it makes you happy, then just do that. But I, I just don't want any part of it. And let's just agree to disagree on that piece. And, and so, you know what Leslie uh, did not do? She did not, uh, you know, did she want Lee to experience what she was experiencing? Absolutely. But what, uh, what she did not do was begin to, to badger and plead and beg and, and try to manipulate Lee into Christianity. She left him alone and let the power of a changed life be the influencing factor for him. And that's exactly what happened. Lee, you know, later, he's just kind of writing his autobiography, just like, man, I just saw, uh, even though I love Leslie and I married her and we were in love and all of that, I just saw something that, that was happening in her. And, 
that, that just kind of intrigued me. And it, 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 at a certain point, intrigued him so much that he began to investigate Christianity. More from, you know, kind of that atheist investi- investigative journalist standpoint. I just want to see what this is all about. But the more he investigated, the more it seemed true to him. And a year and nine months later, Lee finally uh, just, you know, surrendered to the gospel and trusted Christ as his Savior. Not a month later, not nine months later, a year and nine months. Leslie just had to give him space and just let the power of her life and her prayers impact him. She lived out the principle of 1 Corinthians 7 and even the principle of, of 1 Peter 3. She just, you know, just stayed with him and loved him and prayed for him. And the gospel began to impact him, and the rest is history. Just this amazing couple, this amazing man, Lee Strobel, who's impacted the kingdom in radical ways. I know many women who crave a deeper spiritual life with their unbelieving husband, but, but you know, have realized the best way they can love him unconditionally is just to live that quiet spiritual life and trust God with the rest. And that's what Paul is talking about. But in all of that, even when that happens, you know, that unbelieving spouse may not want to stick around. And so the fourth observation I made, it's very obvious there in the text, if your spouse, number four, is an unbeliever and they want to leave, let them leave. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage, is not bound in such cases. But God has called us to peace. And so the idea there, the, the belief, the understanding, uh, divorce permitted in the case of abandonment. And so you see uh, these four principles, and it's like, okay, great, that all makes perfect sense. It all looks pretty cut and dry. This is pretty simple stuff, or is it? Because sometimes it can feel a little, more, a little bit more complicated. You might even think about your own life experience or the experience of someone that you know and love, maybe a family member, something maybe you've even experienced in your own life, Uh, just uh, someone who's been affected by divorce, and you'd say, you know, I still have a lot of questions. This isn't cut and dry. There's a lot of different nuances to this. You know, does the Bible have anything else to say about marriage and divorce than what we read in 1 Corinthians 7? And the answer is yes. And so I just want to spend the rest of the time and just move through this pretty quickly, but just kind of condense some of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 10. So if you want to turn over there to Mark chapter 10, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Mark chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, let me read uh, some of these verses. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea. Mark chapter 10, verse 1, and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Now, some Pharisees, the religious leaders, came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Which is, a, you know, we'd say, yeah, that's a legitimate question. But there was actually more to the question. So you don't need to turn there. Let me just read it. But if you go over to Matthew 19, verse 3, which is kind of the parallel story of, of, you know, of this, Matthew's version of this conversation, Uh, Matthew uh, includes another piece to this, which kind of gives a little bit more insight to the question. So in Matthew 19, 3, uh, it it came this way, that the Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for anything and everything? For any and every reason? 
And that's significant. That question is significant. So let me, let me tell you why. Let me set the context. There was a debate going on in the first century rabbinical schools on this topic. You know, the topic of marriage and divorce, the debate centered around the Mosaic law uh, in which God gave permission for divorce in a certain situation. So if you want to, we're, we're going all over the place this morning, or you can just sit and listen. But if you're into flipping around in your Bible, uh, Deuteronomy tap, uh, chapter 24 is where God gives some instruction on this. So you can just either listen, or if you want to hold your place in Mark 10 and look, uh, look over it, you can do that. But in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, uh, it, it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent or unclean about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And so you can see in, in, in that particular circumstance, in Deuteronomy 24, when the Mosaic law was being given, God permitted them to write a certificate of divorce. And the debate among the rabbis during Jesus' time was, you know, what constitutes indecent or unclean? And so there were two schools of thought. There was the conservative school and the liberal school. I mean, nothing ever changes. You got conservatives and liberals and you know, conservative, uh, the conservative view was represented by the school of Rabbi Shammai, and, and they interpreted indecent or unclean, the Deuteronomy 24, uh, as meaning sexual immorality. There was the liberal view, though. These two rabbinical schools were constantly uh, fighting with one another. The school of, uh, you know, the liberal view was held by the school of Rabbi Hillel, which uh, interpreted that to mean displeasing to the husband, really, Anything that displeases the husband. The husband, you know, comes to Rabbi Hillel and says, you know, my wife burnt the toast this morning. I want to divorce her. And Rabbi Hillel was like, yeah, okay, sure. Anything and everything. You know, if she's displeasing to you, you can write a certificate of divorce. It had gone, literally gone that far. William Barclay, uh, in his commentary, said uh, the school of Hillel said that it, it could mean if the wife spoiled a dish of food, if she spun in the streets, if she talked to a strange man, if she spoke disrespectfully to her husband, if she was a brawling woman, these were all grounds for divorce. Anything and everything. You know, sound familiar? That was the question. They came to Jesus, you know, anything and everything. And uh, that, that was the liberal view. And so... Jesus responds to them, to the question that we see both in Mark chapter 10 and Mark chapter 19, or Matthew 19. He responds in two ways, and this is so important. And this is really the heart of what we want to think about and process. And maybe just let's settle in us, not only for the rest of our time here in this teaching moment, but as we move forward. Two responses. Number one, Jesus called them away from a liberal permissiveness on divorce. It was very clear. In fact, in, back in Mark chapter 10, verse 3, he says, What did Moses command you? In essence, what did God command you? Through the Mosaic law, in, you know, through the prophet Moses in Deuteronomy 24. And they said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because, Jesus said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. 
meaning the Mosaic law permitted divorce as a concession for the hardness of their hearts. I believe referring to to the sin, the, the sin of the offending party, their sin against their spouse by going out and committing adultery, committing uncleanness, sexual immorality in, in, even while they were married. And it's just very specific, which is how Jesus identifies it. Jesus actually, in, in Matthew 19, gives commentary on Deuteronomy 24. Let me read that verse from Matthew 19. We're going back and forth here. Uh, but Matthew 19, 9, uh, Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and what Jesus is interacting here with is the, you know, the, the Pharisees coming and you know, what, what did Moses mean back in Deuteronomy 24? And Jesus says, if anyone uh, divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and that marital unfaithfulness is the Greek word pornea from which we get the word Pornography is talking about sexual sin. And he said this in reference to Deuteronomy 24. So Jesus is in essence saying, I am in agreement with the school of Shammai, which saw the uncleanness as sexual immorality. I'm calling you back to that, at least. Away from this liberal permissiveness, anything and everything. Your wife burnt the, the toast? Are you kidding me? No. No, I'm calling you away from that. I, I want you to see something different here. You know, just, you know, something more conservative, I guess, you, you might say. You, you know, just, uh, which seems to be the climate, not only then, but of today. Just the things that, uh, that I've heard and maybe you hear and stories. And I, I came across, you know, I thought, how far have people gone with this? And I came across, and I know there's some really, you know, hurtful things, but what about the things that seem to be a little bit more incidental? You know, how far have people gone with this? And I came across a couple of stories. A, a woman filed for divorce because her husband was eating too much. She's, you know, she said, you know, by doing that, he was committing a crime, and I don't want to be an accomplice in that crime. I thought, well, that seems like a little bit of a stretch. Another man filed for divorce claiming he was allergic to his wife's sweat. I thought, well, there's a new one. And they, she actually made them, she's like, I don't want to divorce you, and that's pretty lame. Let's go get uh, tests done. And so she actually made, you know, had tests done, and they proved that he was not allergic to her sweat. And I don't know if they stayed together or not. I don't know how you could survive that, but... Uh, Anyway, crazy. I mean, just the anything and everything culture, which sounds like the school of Hillel, anything and everything. And isn't it crazy that uh, just dealing with the same stuff in the first century, Bible times, couples not getting along and looking for anything and everything to just break that marriage apart. And Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Not anything and everything. Maybe in a certain situation, but not anything and everything. And it just reminds me, you know, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that marriage is hard. I mean, marriage is great. You know, you have friendship and you have companionship, and there's something very satisfying about marriage. But at the same time, you don't get there without carving out in a busy life 20 minutes a day. Thank you for sharing that this morning. 
because that's just such a great example of, of what we have to do to make this thing work. And, you know, there's blessing in that and there's camaraderie and partnership and all those beautiful things that we experience in marriage, but it's hard. And you have to be intentional. You have to carve out time to talk and be together and communicate. You can't stop working on it. You, you have to continue to repent of things that you do wrong and seek forgiveness from one another. You have to keep extending grace and extending forgiveness in the way that God extended that to us through Jesus and what he did for us at the cross. We, we, we can't stop allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to love in a way that we just sometimes can't love each other which is ultimately the life of Jesus coming out in us toward each other. We just can't stop doing the hard work of marriage. And the same was true in the first century. They, they were writing certificates of divorce for anything and everything. And Jesus basically says, you've gone too far. I'm calling you away from a liberal permissiveness in the, uh, in the school of Hillel regarding divorce. But, but here's the thing. As we continue to read in Mark chapter 10, he, he says, I, I'm not stopping there. I mean, that would be enough, but I'm not going to stop there. I'm calling you back to something much higher. We're going to go back further than Moses. We're going back further. We're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to God's heart for this whole thing. Because that's what we really need. We need God's heart. We need God's design for this thing that we call marriage. And so number two, you know, these two responses, here's the second response. Number two, Jesus calling them back to the very sacred permanence of marriage. Verse six uh, in Mark chapter 10, but at the beginning of, of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but what? They're one. They're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not, what? Separate. Jesus calling them back to the very sacred permanence, this oneness in marriage. In essence, saying the reason you've run wild with your view on divorce is because you've lost the heart of God. You've completely lost the heart of God's design and his purpose for marriage in, in, in what God has put together. He does not want separated. And yes, there is sexual sin that, that could be so devastating to the one flesh. And God has made provision for this. He permitted the certificate of divorce in certain circumstances that involved sexual sin. But God wants couples to stay together. And this was his intent from the beginning. I'm, I'm calling you, Jesus said, away from trying to find ways to get divorced back to trying to find ways to stay together. Let me say that again. I'm calling you away from trying to find ways to get divorced. And, and Paula and I have friends that are our age. We're empty nesters now, and they're empty nesters now and that are right now trying to find ways to get divorced. And it just breaks our heart. We're no different. We still have to communicate. We still have to love each other. We still have to forgive each other. We still have to extend grace to each other. 
But the difference is they're trying to find ways to get divorced. Paula and I are trying to find ways to stay together, to stay married. Which only can happen through God's grace in the gospel. Jesus in us. I'm calling you away from trying to find ways to get divorced back to trying to find ways to stay together. In fact, when we come to an understanding of the gospel and God's heart for the sacred permanence of marriage, it can often open the door. You know, for, for God's healing and restorative grace in some very hurtful and very, very devastating situations where there has been sexual immorality. I remember counseling with a couple who was experiencing the deep, deep pain of, of marital infidelity. The husband had been unfaithful uh, to his, his wife. And as you can imagine, she was just brutally shocked and devastated. You know, trust was obliterated, as it always is. In these situations, as you can imagine, she contemplated leaving him, and according uh, to my understanding of Scripture, would have been justified in doing that. But the husband came back in this posture of what we determined was true repentance and true brokenness and sought her forgiveness and expressed a desire with her and with me to slowly rebuild her trust if she would be open to that. And she, I would say, to be honest, reluctantly agreed because trust is a fragile thing and trust is something we don't mess with and toy with because it can take, trust can be blown away in just a brief moment. Something that could take years to build could be blown away. She reluctantly agreed because she said, I love you. I never wanted this to happen, but I love you and I, I want to stay with you. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure where this is going to go, but I, I'm willing to give it a try and see what God does in you and in me and in us. And that was 15 years ago. I mean, we just began this slow journey of healing, and it's very slow. There's no such thing as, okay, I ask your forgiveness. Trust me again. There's no, no, no such thing. And he had to be content with that. He had to be content with levels of distrust that she had of him because, hey, I blew it, and I don't blame you. He had to be content with that and just slowly begin to rebuild that. That was 15 years ago, and today they're, they're still going strong. They're married, and they're enjoying their grandkids, and they are seeking to go the distance by God's grace. Listen, each situation is different, and this would depend largely on levels of repentance and brokenness, but where there has been genuine brokenness and genuine repentance and grace, I've seen healing happen. In fact, you know, that, that's how I often counsel couples initially. You know, I, know, I know that trust is gone, and I know that this feels terrible and ugly and so hurtful, but would you give the gospel, would you give God's grace a chance in your life and see what God can do and initially pursue healing and restoration as God enables. And you might say, Steve, I, you know what? I'm you know, divorced and remarried and it, you know, I'm hearing all of this and we're reading 1 Corinthians 7 and it didn't have anything to do with sexual immorality. It was kind of more in the anything and everything category. 
And here we are. I mean, we showed up today and we're hearing this. And wow, Jesus' words here are very strong. They're very straightforward. You know, what does that mean for us? Well, first and foremost, we need to know that any time we sin against God in any way or disobey God in any way, he is what? He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for you today, you know, celebrating the grace of God may be simply knowing that God has forgiven you, that God is healing your life and, and, and by his grace and through the power of the gospel is restoring your life. Um, and, and secondly, you know, where does that leave us? If we've messed up and here we are and we're hearing this, where does that leave us? Well, here it is. Commit to the permanence of marriage. Wherever, I mean, that's the language of 1 Corinthians 7. Wherever God finds you right now, you know, just like, you know, from this day forward, man, we're locked and loaded. We're, and you may be, fighting with your spouse right now. I mean, it's okay. It's, it's, we're, we're locked and loaded. We're going to go the distance. We're going to work this out. We're going to give grace to each other. Commit to the permanence of marriage from this point on. That is the point that we've made this morning. To celebrate the grace of God expressed in the gospel, commit ourselves to the permanence of marriage. I'm doing that. I'm doing that with Paula, and, uh, and we, we are encouraging you to do that as well, to join us in that. So significant that we understand that we recapture God's heart for the permanence of mar- marriage, whether you are thinking about marriage or not thinking about it, whether you know, you're, you're married or unmarried, whether you are newly married or have been married for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or 58 years. To look at each other and say, you know what? We are going to go the, dif- dif- the, the, the distance. We're going to lock in on this. We're going to love each other unconditionally and work th- through things no matter what. Will you, here's the question, will you in a fresh way, and I don't know what you're like, but this is stuff that uh, we just need, I need, we need to re-up on all the time. Will you, in a fresh way, celebrate the grace of God and commit yourself by God's grace, the power of Jesus in you, to the permanence of marriage? Maybe even, you know, have that conversation today. You know, just, okay, we heard some stuff this morning, and what does that look like for us if you're married? Where are we at in this? It might mean leaving this building and having some time of reconciliation. Maybe you're not getting along right now, if you were to be honest. Maybe you need to say, okay, I've been withholding forgiveness from you, and I'm going to forgive you. Or maybe it's humbling yourself about some hurt that you've caused and going back and say, you know what? I, I know I hurt you, and I've never acknowledged that. And I just want you to know I acknowledge that. I hurt you, and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And just experience some reconciliation today. You know, just maybe some conflict that you're ignoring. You just aren't working through to say, you know what, let's work through that today. Let's just get down to business and get through this and just see our marriage strengthened. Let's just pray together. 
and ask God by his spirit, by the life of Jesus in us to help us go the distance and make that commitment. Or maybe just go on a date today. Just love each other. Would you bow with me? God, thank you for your heart for this. Marriage is not man-made. It's what you created at the very beginning when you made Adam and then you made Eve and you said it was good. So I pray that we would come back to that, to the goodness of marriage and what you designed it to be and uh, just your heart for this. God, there, I know in a room like this with even this gathering, I know there's pain, I know there's hardship, I know there's some difficult things that uh, people might be experiencing right now in the context of their marriage or their family life. And just pray that in a fresh way we would experience the power of the gospel, just the presence of Christ, the power of your spirit in us. And God, that we would just lock in for your design and your purpose for marriage, the permanence of marriage, and go the distance.